0: Mothers always have a way of sharing your entire life story with anyone and everyone who will listen, right? A couple weeks ago, I was at Courtney's baby shower, and I sat next to Patty Heeb. By the end of our conversation, I knew exactly how old Aaron and Carissa both were when they started walking. I knew exactly how big Aaron's yard was when she lived in Washington, and I knew just about everything and anything in between. Mothers love to share about their kids. Japheth loves to share about his pastors. (laughs) My mom loves to share with our friends and family about what a contrast it is of me now and me when I was a child. Yes, (laughs) she's told me that she actually loves to see their shocked faces when she tells them that I am now a pastor. So apparently, I was quite the handful when I was younger. I was full of energy, full of emotion, with vocal cords that would not quit. Yes, they still don't quit. I'm still loud. The loudest one on our team. So one day at the grocery store, this must have been so bad, that I was acting up. And a lady came up to my mom and she said, man, I know how you feel. I had one just like that. They take the, insert explicit word, fun out of everything and my mom felt like she had a friend there. Or maybe you've heard the term, it's just a phase, meaning that you really, truly hope that really, really soon it will be over, so all you have to do is grit your teeth and get through it until the phase is done. It's safe to say that I went through many phases. As a baby, I cried and I screamed a lot. Maybe some of you still are in that phase. As a kid, I was a little bit of a brat. Um, I'll give you an example. We were at a birthday party, and I was sitting next to my cousin, who's a little bit older than me. And he was known to always correct people's grammar. He was a know-it-all. He would always make these slide remarks just to get under your skin. He knew how to push every single one of his siblings' buttons, every single one of his cousin's buttons, and he would do it at the best times possible. So he must have said something pretty snarky to me because I remember thinking, hmm, I could say something back or hmm, and I took the string from his party hat and I pulled it down and snapped it. I was very resourceful as a child. (laughs) And so obviously I couldn't show my mom or my aunt um, the wound that his harsh comment left on me, but he sure could show them the bright red line that went across his entire face. I have a few more stories that I probably could share with you, but for your sake and for mine, I'm just gonna keep those to myself. Thank goodness it was just a phase, right? If you read Daily Walk this week, um, you will notice that many times I referenced Kristen Ivey and Reggie Joyner's work on the phase project. And so the phase project says it's just a phase, so don't miss it. Meaning a phase is a time frame in a child's life where you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. It's a collaborative, ongoing effort assembling the classic and the innovative research with a very practical application. It's a reminder that each kid at each phase is important. Why? Because they were made in the image of God. It's a reminder that the Bible tells us the same exact thing. In the Bible, we find Jesus constantly reminding us that the most unlikely of these is made in his image. The prostitute, the leper, the tax collector, the slaves, the women, even the children. During Jesus' time when culture gave little to no value of these types of people, Jesus calls us to remember that humanity holds his image. Whether we choose to recognize this or not does not make it any more less or any more true. In Matthew chapter 18, verses one through six that Patty just read, um, we find the disciples discussing possibly quite passionately who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So if you'd like to follow along with me, I encourage you to grab your Pew Bibles or grab your phone. That's Matthew chapter 18 and it's on page 913 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. So the disciples begin discussing, you'll find at the the beginning of chapter 18 and verse one. They start saying, well who's the greatest? They're kind of trying to figure this out. Have you ever done that? Have you ever played the who's the greatest game? Maybe you haven't necessarily done it in the context of heaven, but have you ever done this in your job? Maybe you have more degrees Maybe you've worked somewhere longer. Maybe you've worked harder than everyone else, and you feel that because of that, you deserve to be the greatest. Or what about in school? Maybe you have worked harder, you've studied more, you're smarter, you have better grades, and because of that, you think you deserve to be the greatest. Or what about school? Or not school, church, we talked about school. I was talking to a friend the other day and she said that there was someone in her childhood church that donated a ton of money to her church. And because of that, she thought that she had more say in the decisions that happened for the entire church family. Sometimes we feel like our leadership roles, the amount of money that we donate, and the time we've spent at a church gives us a sense of being the greatest. Interestingly enough, having more degrees, working harder than everyone else, giving more money, being given more responsibility, going to church every weekend, reading the daily walk every single week, inviting your neighbors over to your house for dinner doesn't make you any more made in God's image than the atheist, than the rude neighbor that throws trash in your lawn, than the drug addict, than Hillary Clinton, than Donald Trump, than the homosexuals, than women, than children, but Jesus reminds us that we should always strive for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. In the Greco-Roman culture at this time, they looked down upon children. They were in no way the greatest and in no capacity had anything to teach us. So when Jesus brings a small child into his inner circle of disciples and says to them that whoever humbles themselves like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, it was radical almost as radical as if I were to say to you that what we do here at church for our kids might be more important than anything else we do here at church. For those of you who came to a new kind of leader training that Pastor Eli and I did, that sentence might sound pretty familiar. We referenced uh, Reggie Joyner's book, A New Kind of Leader, and in that book he says, it may not seem like what you do for a kid is all that significant. Sometimes it's just changing a diaper, remembering the name of a pet goldfish, filling endless quantities of water balloons, writing a text to say that you're praying for their test that next day. Even when it seems insignificant, what you do for a kid early on will leave an impression, and early impressions matter more than we think. He then goes on to share early childhood development research um, from the World Health Organization, and they report this. The early years of life are crucial in the influence and range of health and social outcomes across the life course. Research now shows that many challenges in adult society, mental health problems, obesity, stunting, criminality, heart disease, competence and literacy and numeracy, have their roots in early childhood. So if it's important to start guiding and guarding the mental and physical health of a kid now, then what about their moral, their emotional, their relational, and their spiritual growth? Churches worldwide have been focusing on youth and young adult, because we have begin to feel the effects of the mass exodus from our churches. Research is beginning to show that it's not the youth and young adults who are making the decision to leave, they're just leaving, but that the decision is actually being made in middle school. Middle schoolers are starting to solidify their thoughts and opinions at this age. And they begin asking themselves questions like, is a faith community really important? Is God really important? And that age is starting to get lower and lower where they're making these decisions and solidifying their thoughts and opinions on church and God. Jesus takes our interactions with kids extremely seriously. He goes on to say this if you're following along in Matthew 18. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and drowned in the depth of the sea. That's pretty heavy. How we treat, interact, and show Jesus to kids is important. Thomas and Sunita's sons, Emmanuel and Masoda, don't ask if they're going to church on Saturdays. Instead, they ask their parents, Are we going to see Jesus today? At their young ages, Emmanuel and Masoda are beginning to solidify their thoughts about a faith community and about God. And because they have parents who show them Jesus, because they have small group leaders who show them Jesus, because they have all of you showing them Jesus, to them it's not going to church. To them, they're going to see Jesus. So when you come to church on Saturdays, How are you showing Jesus? When Masoda and Emmanuel walk into these doors, how do they see Jesus in you? Is it in your conversations? Is it in your worship when we pray and when we sing? Is it in the way that you take time to greet them, say hello, and ask about their week? What about when a stranger walks into this space? How do you show them Jesus? When someone who's hurt you walks into this space? How do you show them Jesus? We don't come to 345 Mapleton every Saturday because it's a beautiful building or because there's incredible refreshments. We don't come here because it's the only place that God's presence resides and it's the only place that we can come to worship at. We don't come to go to a building that we call church, but we come to encounter a people that we call church, to encounter a people who reflect Jesus. In their book Growing Young, Kara Powell and her colleagues went through extensive research to what keeps a church growing young, what keeps teens and young adults and kids seeing value in faith communities. They share about preaching and social media in one of their blurbs saying this, while we hold the word of God with the highest value and respect, we believe that verbal proclamation is just one form of expression, Given that young people are especially dialed into relationships, might your time crafting a gospel-centered community be worth as much attention as preaching? After all, young people who want top-notch preaching can download sermons from amazing communicators nationwide, but they can't download a vibrant community. I sometimes worry that many of us think that if we give a kid or a teen or even an adult the correct information, that it will be life-giving. Although information is important, it can never take the place of a vibrant community. After all, it's recorded in John 13, Jesus saying something about how people will know we follow him. Um, He doesn't say, they will know you're my disciples by your information, by your knowledge, does he? No. Absolutely not. He doesn't say they will know you're my disciples by your sheer willpower to not go in the lake past your knees on the Sabbath. He doesn't say that either. He doesn't say they will know you're my disciples by your diet, although Japheth, we're very proud of you for being gluten free. But what he does say is they will know you're my disciples by your love. No amount of literature will change a person's life. Only love can do that. That is why the word became flesh. What we read in the Bible, what you hear when you come to church or in your Bible study classes or reading through your daily walk will do nothing for your communities, for your collectives, for your hearts if it doesn't become flesh, if you don't live it. If love stays on paper but doesn't live in you, people will just be coming to a building at 345 Mapleton. They won't be coming to church. They won't be coming to see Jesus. Zan Long, who has just become a grandmother earlier this month, um, was commenting on her granddaughter Zoe, saying that she just cannot believe how big love can grow. Love is living, it's breathing, and it's growing. The living word, Jesus, pulls a kid to the inner circle of his disciples. This child has no education, no skill set or trade, no land or children or money or deep theological knowledge and he says to his disciples, this kid knows what it's like to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It must have been mind-boggling for them. Today I want to remind you that the kids at Boulder Church are the greatest. And if we want things to be here on Earth as they are in Heaven, we need to start believing they're the greatest. That means that when we start believing that they have something to teach us because they do. Because they are made in the image of God. When Jesus tells his disciples to be great, you must be like a child, he wasn't saying that we should be immature or that we should you know, ask people to tie our shoes all the time but rather to take on the attributes of children that we often grow out of. Politically, I don't know where you stand, but I think all of us can agree that what's been happening around our world, what's been happening and taking place in Charlottesville and Barcelona is absolutely heart-wrenching. To see the hatred, the violence, and the pain has made me physically sick these past couple of weeks. If you've been on social media the past month, you might have seen a quote by Nelson Mandela, and it goes like this, no one is born hating another person because of the color of their skin, their background, or religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. I've been doing some research, um, and research on bullying has increased over the past 10 to 15 years. And what studies are finding is that children who witness abuse in their homes before the age of three are more likely to act out in aggression and violence when they're in elementary school. Kids learn a little bit from what we say, more from what we do, but the most from who we are. Kids are very intuitive. What they're learning from us at early ages, even younger than three, sticks with them and affects them for the years to come. This includes our own personal interactions with God and church. Our personal interactions with God and church that our kids see when they're even under three are going to stick with them for the rest of their lives. The Phases Project has poured hours of time and research into finding out the core of who kids are at different times of their lives. And the thing is, we have the same thing as kids. We learn a little bit from what they say, we learn a little bit more from what they do, but we learn the most from who they are. So I'm excited to share with you about this project and their research and how their language not only can help us understand kids, but help enrich their faith journey, but also how these main phase groups can teach us something more about how we can be made in the image of God. When Jesus told his disciples that the greatest was one that becomes childlike, it was crazy talk. How could becoming lesser mean you're being greater? Jesus tells us that kids are the greatest example of the kingdom of heaven. And he uses kids today that we can learn from. It could be through your own children, it could be through your grandchildren, the kids you see here at this church, sometimes, We stress about all the things that we think we need to teach our kids about life, about God, but really, they have so much to teach us. I'm gonna invite my friend Masoda up. He's down here. We're going to first, we're gonna talk about four different age groups. And so this age group is Masoda's, and this covers ages zero to four. Hey, Masoda. So, zero to four in the soda's age, how are you buddy? You wanna come with me? All right, and his big brother came up here with him, Emmanuel. We talked about you guys a little bit earlier. You guys came to see Jesus today. And so from the ages of zero to four, kids are learning to walk, talk, feed themselves, run, climb, put their shoes on, but first they learn to take their shoes off, right? They're learning about the world around them, what they're capable of, and what they need in that environment. Is safety. At this age, Masoda's asking himself, am I able? He doesn't say it out loud, but he's constantly wondering what he's capable of, and he needs a safe environment to do that. Our job is to embrace kids Masoda's age, to embrace them, to love them, to create the safest and most loving environment that they can learn and grow in, to show them that God is a God of safety. Masoda has learned a lot at his young age and he honestly probably knows more languages than most of us in this room, huh? Yeah, very smart, but he still has a lot to learn. Sometimes we feel like we have more to teach Masoda, but he really has more to teach us. Often we as adults ask ourselves the unspoken question, am I able? Often we hide our vulnerability, we hide the fact that we're scared, often we want to know everything, right away, and we try to call that faith. Our other friend over there, Harper, was talking to her mom the other day, and she was asking questions about heaven. She asked her mom, okay, so when we go to heaven, we're gonna be on a big cloud, and Melissa's like, yeah? She goes, do you think that cloud will break apart? Melissa goes, no, I don't think it'll break apart. I think we'll all be together. Harper said, do you think there'll be snacks on the cloud? What do you guys think? Yeah? And Melissa said, I think God's got that covered. And she goes, well, what kind of snacks? And Melissa's like, you know, I don't, really, I, the Bible doesn't really say. Let me check in Revelation. And Harper turned to Melissa, to her mom, and said, well, I guess we're just going to have to wait and find out. What we need to learn is how to humble ourselves like a child and run to Jesus asking him to embrace us with safety. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Masoda you wave at everyone? Say thank you, (laughs) so great. And now I'm gonna invite another friend up. Ellie, will you come up here? Yeah. (laughs) This phase covers elementary grades, kindergarten through fifth. And Ellie, is it true that you started kindergarten this week? Oh, high five. Ellie started kindergarten this week, she's growing up big. See, the thing at this kid's age is they start asking the question, do I have what it takes, right? Do I have what it takes? They start to notice differences in their talents and skills, they're learning what games they like better, what colors they like more. What's your favorite color right now? Pink and purple, good choice. The motivating factor for these kids is, what do you think it is? Fun, does that sound right? Yeah, the motivating factor is fun. So our job is to engage in their interests, right, Ellie? To have pink and purple everything at church. What do, you, what do you say? Kind of, maybe just pink. That's why downstairs in our kids' division, right, at Summer Saturdays at Camp Santis, we sing loud, right? We dance loud, and yes, you can dance loud, just ask Ellie. And we love Jesus loud. We feel like we have a lot to teach kids Ellie's age, like how to use their inside voices. But Ellie has a lot to teach us, like how to use our worship voices. We have a lot to learn, don't we? We might might ask ourselves the same question you ask. Do I have what it takes? We often sing quietly. Have you ever seen adults sing quietly? We sometimes dance quietly, or not at all. And sometimes we even love Jesus quietly because we're afraid that we don't have what it takes. What we need to learn is how to humble ourselves like a child and be like Ellie and sing loud for Jesus and dance loud for Jesus and love loud for Jesus because that's important, right? Thank you, Ellie. I'll see you in a bail, I'll see you downstairs. Now the red phase, this is middle school. Now is my friend Jonah here? He said he might come up. So yesterday, Jonah was actually counting his marbles. And we're gonna talk about those a little bit later. Um, Parents, if you would like to shed a tear or two, I encourage you to come over to this table and see how many marbles you have left. Each marble represents a week. So yesterday, Jonah and I did the math on how many weeks he had left until he graduated high school. And it is 245, everyone. And he goes, that is so far away. <laughs> and j and Becky are probably thinking it's so close. <laughs> kids at this phase are usually asking, oh, Jonah, come on up. 245 weeks. Jonah, do you know what kids at your age are sometimes asking? They're asking, who do I like, who likes me? They're trying to figure out what they really believe. Remember we talked about this earlier, is that kids in middle school are making their decisions about church, about God, about a faith community. Middle schoolers change something at least once a week. The coolest game's on their phone. What's the best game on your phone right now? Is it that dragon one? Was there a dragon one? A couple of weeks ago it was Pokemon Go and now it's obviously different. <laughs> So they're trying to figure out what foods they like best, who their best friends are, what their favorite bands or artists are. And this phase is where they start solidifying their beliefs. Who am I? Who do I like? Does my faith community really matter? Does God really matter? This is the time frame when they make the decision if they're gonna stay in the church or not. It's not my age. It's not even our teens' age. It's Jonah's age. Here, kids, make the biggest decisions. And the motivating factor for them here is acceptance. It's our job to affirm the journey that Jonah's on, to show him the value of a healthy community. We often think it's our job to answer all his questions, to tell you exactly who you like, who you shouldn't like, what you should like, what you shouldn't like, what kind of music's better, what kind of music you shouldn't listen to. But they have a lot to teach us. We often ask our unspoken question of, Who do I like? Maybe we haven't made some of these big decisions yet. Maybe we haven't always felt affirmed or accepted in the spaces we encounter every day. But what we need to learn is how to humble ourselves to be more like Jonah and find out our true identity and and acceptance in Jesus. Thanks, Jonah. Now I get to tell you about the last group. This is a wild group and you may have seen them around lately. This phase covers high school. I don't know if you would ever believe it, but this phase of our almost adults, um, their motivating factor is freedom. Who would have thought, right? We often feel like this year, for especially our seniors, this time frame is our last time to teach them everything they need to know about everything. But really, this is the time where they have so much to teach us before they graduate. When I graduated high school, I remember my aunt telling me, Jessica, you've been in this little pond now in high school. And now that you turned 18, now that you've graduated, the whole world is open to you. You could move anywhere, you could study anything, you could work anywhere, you could be anything. And I was so overwhelmed. And the question this phase asks is, what's next? I could go anywhere, study anything, do anything. It was kind of scary, but it felt like freedom. We all have an idea of what freedom is, but as we grow up, we replace freedom with reality. Our seniors can teach us a ton about freedom, and it's exhilarating. It's our job to mobilize their potential not to suck them back into reality, but to learn from them that reality is not defined by who we are, but by whose we are. And whose we are is free indeed. They teach us that our reality shouldn't define our freedom, but our freedom in Jesus should define our reality. So right now I'd like to invite the seniors that are here up. Yes, that's you, that's you, Tommy. (laughs) All right, so all of our seniors, please come up at this time. We are privileged to have you here at Boulder Church, to have you spending your last year year here teaching us about what we need to know. Yep, all the way up, all the way up. And so I'm also going to invite our elders to come forward and our small group leaders. Um, And so if you could go and grab some of the marbles and cards for our students that are up here, that would be fantastic. So we have an incredible group of elders that love you an incredible pastoral staff that loves you um, and you have some incredible small group leaders that love you and so we're excited to take some time to be able to pray over you um, and to wish you best on this this next year of life. So I'm gonna steal Darian's jar. This right here is a little jar um, and it has 40 marbles in it, okay? Um, These kids, I checked, I have a special little app. Most of them, Annalisa has 38, Josh has 38, Tommy, Alex, a few of you have 40 or 39. That's how many weeks they have left until they graduate, until many of them are gonna leave us and we're gonna miss you a ton. And you'll also find in here a bouncy ball. This bouncy ball is gonna represent your last week. This represents graduation. And this is when you are free. This is where you you can go anywhere, you can do anything, you can be anything. And so we're just really thankful for, oh, can we get Alex Messersmith too, please? Thank, oh, got it, great. All right, and so we're gonna take some time to pray over these kids. And I just want you to take a moment, look at their wonderful faces and remember to ask them what, to, what there is to know about life. So let's take a moment to pray over these wonderful kids. Jesus, I wanna thank you so much for each and every senior that's up here today. I wanna to thank you for their love and their hearts of service um, and just the incredible people that they are. And so Jesus, as they go into their last year of high school, Um, help them to remember that they are being prayed for, they're being thought of, um, and that they always have a home that they can come back to. God, I pray for them that as they go through their journey, um, that they continue to learn more about you and that as they continue to learn more about you, they share what they've learned with us. That we may learn from them each and every week and that we may utilize this last year to soak up all the incredible, wonderful information they have about you, all the incredible experiences they've had with you. So, Jesus, we pray for them. We pray that you keep them, that you hold them, that you love them. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Although we go through different phases in how we relate to Jesus and how we connect with Him, being a follower of Jesus is not a phase. Craving safety, Fun, acceptance, and freedom in a relationship with Him is not something we should ever grow out of. Jesus pulls a child into the circle of disciples and says, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much information you know. None of that matters. What matters is that you have a childlike heart. What matters is that you find safety in Jesus. What matters is that you find fun in Jesus. What matters is that you find acceptance in Jesus. And what matters is that you find freedom in Jesus. So my last question for you today is, how are we becoming like children? How are we becoming vulnerable and running to a God who is safety? And how are we reflecting the image of God and being safety to others? How are we letting loose and having fun with a God who was the inventor of creativity, imagination, fun, and laughter? And how are we reflecting the image of God, showing others that Jesus is fun? How are we finding our identity in Jesus and reminding ourselves that God accepts us fully? And how are we reflecting the image of God and accepting others regardless of their race, their gender, their social status? Because they are made in the image of God. How are we embracing the incredible freedom given to us through Jesus? And how are we reflecting the image of God and sharing in that joy of freedom together? My hope for all of us today is that our eyes are open like the disciples. That we are reminded of all the kids that Jesus brings into this space, into our circle, into our church. That we are challenged with the call to create the best environments for them to learn and to grow that we also open up our hearts to learn and grow. There is just as much worship downstairs at Camp Sanitas as there is upstairs, and I can tell you that. That by serving a child, we're serving Jesus. By learning from a child, we're learning more about the image of God than we could ever imagine. My hope for us today is that we learn from the kids, that we learn to sing loud, dance loud, and love Jesus loud. And my prayer for you all today is this, is that Jesus blesses you with safe hearts, that Jesus blesses you with fun-loving hearts, that Jesus blesses you with accepting hearts, and that Jesus blesses you with free hearts, amen.